Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the second week obsessing over the FBI raid on Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago, or as the lefties at Twitter like to call it, Mar-a-Lardo. Congrats, guys. You're right at home in the middle school locker room. This is important. I get that, but it's... Like everything with Trump, everything gets exaggerated into hyperbolic levels. I mean, this was a document search. You know, we had 53 illegal aliens dying in the back of a semi. That was a two-day story. Here, nobody died. It seems to be an exciting story about boxes of documents. Both sides are exaggerating into something of monumental importance. I think when we come around to the end of it, we'll say, huh, so that was it? Sort of like the Steele dossier. What? You mean they weren't P-tapes? All right, so today I want to pluck out one piece of this. Uh, It's just one of those things that has bothered me about the way the media covers the Trumpers. And that is, and now we turn to what we call extremism experts. Now, the fact of the matter is, whenever you see the words extremism experts quoted by the so-called mainstream media, you can assume they're right-wing extremism experts. No, and that doesn't mean they're right-wingers. It means they're, they specialize in the far right, the hard right, the violent right. That's what they love to study. I tweeted, these people couldn't find a left-wing extremist at an Antifa convention. And then some smart kid tweeted back at me, Antifa doesn't have conventions. Which Antifa convention was that? It's called humor. Look it up in the dictionary. Yes, this is one of those things that's so annoying about Antifa or Black Lives Matter. You know, oh, we're disorganized. You can't possibly attack us. Because we are not organized. We don't have a central bureaucracy. We're kind of sketchy and hiding in the background. Around the street corner. Down in the basement. And so you can't blame us for anything. Because we're disorganized. So extremism experts. I saw this. A Yahoo News piece by a reporter named Caitlin Dixon. The title was... Extremism experts warn of echoes of January 6th in rightist response to FBI Mar-a-Lago raid. Who is Caitlin Dixon? Oh, her beat includes quote-unquote domestic extremism on her beat, you know, which is another way of describing Caitlin somebody who's written about 300 articles on January 6th in the last year. So naturally, we took this awful story of the armed nut who went to the Cincinnati field office and said, see, right-wing extremism. This is the consequences of hot tweets. Caitlin Dixon writes, extremism experts and some federal law enforcement officials said the Cincinnati incident demonstrates the potential harm that can come from the kind of violent rhetoric that has been circulating online in the wake of the FBI's search 
at Mar-a-Lago. Don't call it a raid. It's a search. If they say search instead of raid, they're the liberal media. They're the pro-Biden media because the Biden people said, would you be a lamb and call it a search? Then their expert says, the online trail left by the individual who engaged in that attack illustrates vividly how this type of rhetoric can motivate individuals toward real-world violence, said Jared Holt, a senior research manager at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Who is Jared Holt? Nonpartisan extremism expert? Well, for most of the Trump presidency, Jared Holt was an investigative reporter for People for the American Way, the left-wing extremist group that hates the Christian right. They run right-wing watch. See, this is just what you would expect. Your nonpartisan extremism expert is all about fighting the right-wingers. Yes, before spending the Trump era at People for the American Way, Jared Holt spent almost two years with the media mutters for America people. Yes, fighting the right. That's what Jared Holt does, but they present him as just an expert. Then over on CNN's Inside Politics on Sunday, reporter Laura Baron Lopez, who recently joined the PBS NewsHour team, she's new to PBS, but she's been a regular on the Inside Politics gang at CNN, started citing extremism experts. I've talked to extremism experts and experts in what actually starts civil war, which we heard calls of that from some Trump supporters after the FBI raid, uh, the search, was that, you know, ultimately when elected officials say things like that and try to sow distrust about the institution and about the justice system, that that can lead to uh, Trump supporters to have no trust in democracy, which then, you know, leads to a further degradation of, of the republic. Yes, it's always the right wing that's leading to the degradation of the republic. Yes, nobody on the left has run down the federal government in any way. Or let's consider what Mike Lachance at the blog Legal Insurrection replied on Twitter. Democrats have spent the entire summer calling the Supreme Court illegitimate. After they overturned Roe. Bingo. Clay Waters noted this New York Times story on the front page Sunday. Under the headline, Rights Talk Darkens and Violence Rises. Everybody hitting this narrative? Yeah. The online headline was a little blunter. As right-wing rhetoric escalates, so do threats and violence. Both threats of political violence and actual attacks have become a steady reality of American life. Experts blame dehumanizing and apocalyptic language. Oh, from who? Well, there's a photo. And the caption is, supporters of former President Donald J. Trump outside Mar-a-Lago following the FBI raid. <gasps> they didn't say search? Yes, it's violent Trumpers. This is what everybody's supposed to be afraid of. All the domestic extremism comes from the right. Reporter Alan Feuer or Foyer 
writes, in the year and a half since a pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol, threats of political violence and actual attacks have become a steady reality of American life, affecting school board officials, election workers, flight attendants, librarians, and even members of Congress, often with few headlines and little reaction from politicians. What? Few headlines? Little reaction from politicians. This has been the dominant mode of Democrat communication for a year and a half. January 6th, January 6th, January 6th. Crazy parents at school board meetings. Crazy anti-vax people threatening flight attendants. I don't know. So the idea that this has been, oh, it's on the front page of the New York Times and they're like, this has gotten few headlines. I mean, yike. It continues. While this welter of events may feel disparate, occurring at different times and places and to different types of people, aha, scholars who study political violence point to a common thread, the heightened use of bellicose, dehumanizing and apocalyptic language, particularly by prominent figures in right-wing politics and media. So this is what we've seen in the last week. Lots of quote-unquote scholars and quote-unquote violence researchers and quote-unquote extremist experts being deployed against conservatives. Yes, violent rhetoric is weaponized. And I don't like the word weaponized, but I mean they are, they are deploying the experts. And as they often do in liberal media, they deploy experts who are left-wing experts and then try to hide badly that they're left-wing experts. I mean, you can usually tell just from the tilt of what they're saying. For example, this was the hot talk at the end of the New York Times story. Robert Pape, a professor at the University of Chicago who studies political violence, has conducted half a dozen nationwide polls since the January 6th attack and has repeatedly found the same results, that between 15 million and 20 million American adults believe that violence would be justified to return Mr. Trump to office. I call baloney. First of all, you're extrapolating. You obviously didn't do a poll of 15 to 20 million people. You're guessing. I question your sample. I even question who's funding these polls to find this result. I'd like to look at Robert Pape's budget. Who's funding this guy? But the New York Times loves it. Mr. Pape and other violence researchers often compare conditions in the United States to those of dry forest with lots of combustible material on the ground. All it takes is a spark, like the search of Mar-a-Lago, to ignite the tinder. Yike. Story concludes, with Mr. Trump facing multiple investigations, even as he considers yet another run for office, there are many possible sparks that could flare up in the days and weeks ahead. We're in wildfire season, Mr. Pape said, and will be for quite some time. Yes, we're going to talk about Trump facing multiple investigations and not saying by this Democrat and that Democrat and this Democrat over there only the Democrat over there at the Justice Department running a grand jury. He's called Merrick Garland, Democrat. So who is Robert Pape? Well, Wikipedia says, hey, during the 2008 presidential campaign, 
Pape served as an advisor to Democrat Barack Obama. Well, of course, when you're in Chicago, why not? But it's been quite obvious then if you look at his recent output, especially since January 6th, Robert Pape has been a popular source for this violent Trumper narrative. NPR, The Atlantic, The Hill, and other media outlets have promoted Pape's hot takes. Now, here's what's interesting to me. If you rewind a minute, you'll find a Chicago Tribune opinion piece by Pape arguing that the Department of Homeland Security deploying at violent protests in Portland in 2020 was a major backfire. This is what he wrote in the Chicago Tribune. With violence particularly high during the final 11 days of DHS deployment is immediately apparent that the withdrawal of DHS, not its deployment, lowered the violence. Indeed, DHS deployment not only increased violence, but it also resulted in subduing peaceful protests. Yeah, that's a tragedy. During the 25 days of DHS deployment, peaceful protests steadily declined virtually disappeared during the last 11 days of deployment and immediately increased in the days following the withdrawal. So Robert Pape is basically saying, get out, feds, we don't need you. You're ruining democracy. Now, if we did this the other way, it'd be, oh, tinder, dry forest, combustible material. He's, he's ripping the Department of Homeland Security. Does he hate the government? So much of this just seems designed to, to take the extreme, and there is an extreme right now, that want to compare this to the Gestapo or something, um, who want to talk about civil war and other nuttiness, and say this is the mainstream. It's kind of their way of taking all of the normal conservatives and saying, you guys should really shut up about this. Brian Stelter unsurprisingly retweeted this New York Times story complete with the violence researchers cry dry forest of combustible tinder spin. How surprising. This has been the dominant narrative in the last week, that flaming hot talk of when does the shooting start can be associated with shooting at FBI agents in Cincinnati. All right, that obviously that disturbed individual Again, do you blame the rhetoric or do you blame the disturbed individual? Because we know when the disturbed individual loves Rachel Maddow, you blame the disturbed individual, not Rachel Maddow. But they want to say Steve Bannon's causing shooting. Okay, so then it turned truly bizarre on the reliably liberal, reliable sources. Oliver Darcy told Stelter that somehow the mainstream media, so-called, has somehow downplayed or watered down the anti-government hot talk of the mega folks. It seems like they've completely obsessed in the media over the most extreme commentary, and they're all pushing a narrative of violent talk. So how wrong can Oliver Darcy be here? Seriously, wrong. And I think that the rhetoric that is actually on the right, Brian, is not necessarily coming through in mainstream coverage. Okay, hold on. Let's unpack that for sure. a minute. So you mean that when we are talking, the New York Times or CNN or ABC, yeah. when we are covering criticism from the right, 
we're doing what wrong. But that's the problem. It's not criticism from the right. They're not criticizing the FBI. They're aiming to malign the FBI. They're assaulting the character of the FBI. And I don't think that the fervor on the right really has shown, shined through in news coverage. It just mm. feels um, like we're almost ignoring or just hoping that you can ignore some of the uh, rhetoric from, from these uh, MAGA media stars. So, so you're saying it's much more extreme than we're making it out to be. It's, it's very extreme. It's extremist huh. rhetoric. It's incendiary rhetoric. And it has consequences. And we're seeing, you know, earlier this week, there was that attack uh, on the FBI field office. Uh, you know, the, In the Cincinnati F by an obsessed truth social user. Right. Addicted to Trump's social network. Right. Yeah. Someone who's listening to this kind of rhetoric right. probably 24-7. And so these things do have consequences. And I think it's um, painting an incomplete picture if mainstream media sources don't necessarily uh, convey that to their audience. I think we can truthfully state that Brian and Oliver consume a lot of liberal media. So how is it that they can uncork this wacky banter? Guys, it's not a reliable reading of your sources. Here they were just talking, Stelter's retweeting the New York Times, talking about all the crazy rhetoric on the right, and then they say, well, when you're talking about the New York Times, we're doing it wrong, it's, they're, not, they're not adequately covering the wacky criticism from the right. They need somebody in the middle of that show to be like, time out, dummies. We've been surfing in waves of panic about crazy, hot, right-wing talk. The mainstream media hasn't been downplaying it. They've been up playing it. They've been playing it up. While we're still on the extremism experts beat, let's talk about NPR last week going after the Gadsden flag. That's the yellow flag with the snake. It says, don't tread on me. This is how you know the left-wing media, including the taxpayer-funded media, is gunning for Ron DeSantis. Yes, suddenly the don't tread on me flag from the Revolutionary War is a far-right emblem of lies and violence. As NPR's Scott Newman wrote, when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently tweeted an image of what he said was a new state license plate featuring a coiled rattlesnake in the words don't tread on me, he said it sends a clear message to out-of-state cars. The imagery of the Revolutionary War era Gadsden flag dates to Benjamin Franklin, but has, for many, many, mm -hmm. for liberals, for many it's come to symbolize a far-right extremist ideology and the Stop the Steal movement that has sought to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. NPR also tweeted this around Wacken DeSantis. Governor Ron DeSantis said a new Florida license plate featuring the Revolutionary War era Gadsden flag sends a clear message to out-of-state cars. Critics, critics say... It symbolizes a dangerous far-right extremist ideology. Yes, I think that's what the British called the colonists in 1776. A bunch of dangerous far-right extremists and ideologues. Sit down, Thomas Jefferson, and accept British rule, you extremist. Now, I find this a little funny because NPR has an affinity for dangerous far-left extremist ideology. Let's recall, back in 2020, NPR, on their website, 
favorably reviewed the book in defense of looting. Yes, they said, for justice, looting is a powerful tool. And NPR gets goosebumps over books about how leftist riots for so-called racial justice should be called rebellions, not riots, and should somehow be considered a respectable form of activism. So naturally, when NPR turned to the left-wing extremism experts, who claimed most of the public thinks like NPR? Here's the source. The state of Florida can't claim a lack of knowledge about what this image represents to most of the public, says Rachel Carol Rivas, Deputy Director of Research and Analysis for the Intelligence Project at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, notice there's no label here for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Let's recall that this leftist group had a hate map. Yes, when the Floyd Corkins came over to the Family Research Council with a gun to shoot up the Family Research Council, he had a hate map from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Could it be said that the hateful rhetoric of the hate map could be held responsible. It was combustible tinder. And yet this is who they're citing at NPR. Rivas says it's become clear that the flag has been used for some quote-unquote really awful causes, most notably the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, where violent protesters attacked police as part of an effort to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Yeah, see... Violent protesters attacking police, okay if you're Black Lives Matter. Is that too rough? I don't think so. I don't remember NPR or the Southern Poverty Law Center talking about attacks on police and insurrections in Portland or insurrections in Ferguson or insurrections in Minneapolis. It's just not what they do. So we'll ask again when it comes to our extremism experts. Who is Rachel Carol Rivas? Well, if you go to her LinkedIn page, this is what she says. I am a driven, highly motivated nonprofit professional with extensive experience as a project director, researcher, community organizer, fundraiser, public speaker, strategist, financial manager, administrator, and campaign specialist that appreciates established innovative organizations with clear progressive and human rights values. Bing, bing, bing. She's a progressive. Wow, who could have known that when you're reading NPR and there are no labels? She also says, featured, she's featured in over 500 print TV and radio news publications, highlighted in at the Tea Party, the wingnuts, whack jobs, and whitey whiteness of the new Republican right, and why we should take it seriously by Laura Flanders. Who is Laura Flanders? Oh, she's a radical knot. Yeah, she used to be at this group called Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, which we like to call Fairness and Accuracy in Revolution, because to them, the liberal media is impossibly right wing. How left do you have to be? To be over there. I guess you're right there with left-wing Twitter. Chuck Todd, Katie Turr, and Andrea Mitchell are all auditioning for Fox News. (laughs) 
Rachel Carol Rivas worked for seven years for the Montana Human Rights Network. As their Twitter explains, they are working to end racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, and other forms of injustice in Montana. Yes, they're presently fighting for making sure smutty books are there for kids in the libraries. Because they're pro-LGBTQ+, you know. Now, we can say it's an awful cause to keep denying that Biden won in 2020. Biden won January 6th. Sucked. It was awful. But smearing the Gadsden flag because it's associated with far-right kookery, well, this is nothing new. Liberal media stars also tried this tactic back in 2010 when it was a Tea Party favorite emblem. Chris Matthews on MSNBC called it McCarthyite. Chris Matthews also turned to the Southern Poverty Law Center to decry this symbol. Juan Williams over on Fox associated it with Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh and even the pornographers at Playboy got into the act as it ripped Glenn Beck. Back then, when Glenn had a show at Fox, yes, he was in in early Obama years. He was a major target. So to sum up, when people start quoting from so-called extremism experts and violence researchers and scholars in political violence, you can be assured that these are left-wingers fighting the right as they often do. This is why you kind of have to come to these news stories with a certain amount of code, you know, to know where they're coming from. And this is why the fight over media bias is one of those things where we're not really concerned with really activist right-wingers and left-wingers because a lot of the things we do about politics are about, about what less political actors and voters see and hear. What do they read? What do they get off social media? If you're just getting far-right, violent Tinder for the dry forest spin on your Twitter, you know, you might be scared. Um, The New York Times is scaring you about the right-wingers. They sound disreputable. So, I mean, this is why it's important to sort of come in here and know the tricks. And one of the big tricks that's been going on the entire time I've been here since 1989 is that liberal papers and liberal networks have this habit of taking their liberal allies and presenting them as nonpartisan, which is a lie. Let's just call it what it is. It is a lie. To present the Southern Poverty Law Center as a nonpartisan group is a lie. The SPLC came out of the McGovern campaign in 1972. Morris Dees, their founder, was a fundraiser for George McGovern. Anybody who reads any of their material knows they're a bunch of far lefties. But most voters or readers who we got to be concerned about when it comes to media bias aren't doing the deep dive. They haven't realized that that group is deeply corrupt. You have to dig a while before you find that. So if you want to know the way that the news media deploys experts and researchers and scholars, that's why you come to Newsbusters. Once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in.